Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. It's episode 73. I am Ali Matu and joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, H.A. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going well, Ali. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We have... We've been uh, traveling in Dispose on secret nerdery business for a few weeks, so we appreciate your patience, dear nerdlings. Um, and we've got a great topic. I mean, this is something, Conrad, I've been wanting to talk to you about all summer long, and we were kind of waiting for the end of season one. What are we talking about today? We are talking about Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot, Domo Arigato. Is it a show about... Robots, Conrad? I don't know. What is it, Ali? (laughs) (laughs) No, Mr. Robot is a show that aired on USA, correct? That's right. Um, And it has been, would you call it a sleeper hit? Um, I would talk, uh, I would say it it might have been, uh, if it was a sleeper hit, it woke up pretty darn quickly. Yeah. I mean, Uh, basically, (laughs) I started seeing ads for this on the subway. I don't know, like maybe in April or so, and it premiered in late May. Um, and it and, just wrapped up. Yeah, and, and it just wrapped up uh, last week, I believe. And it basically follows uh, the, the main character named Elliot uh, Alderson, uh, who lives in New York. And one thing I really loved about this film is that, or this show, is that it is actually filmed in New York, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Um, and he he is a hacker and he really I don't want to give away too much, but um there are a lot of interesting twists and turns in what happens to Elliot and to those around him within so, the show. So we're gonna talk about Mr. Robot. Um it also will lead to a little bit of a discussion of Mr. Robot versus Fight Club. And you know, it's not too much of a spoiler to say there's an unreliable narrator here involved which gets to our top five today. And so, Conrad, as, as we like to do, we're going to talk a little non-spoilers, and then we'll get into some spoilers. So um, you and I started to see ads for this. Um, I actually got a little viral marketing for, for Mr. Uh, Robot back, back when um, uh, I was at South by Southwest for, with, uh, with Nguyen. She and I were out there, and they had these guys walking around wearing black, in these black um, sweatshirts with their hoodies on. Huh. And they were giving away these little stickers to people that said Mr. Robot. And I was like, Mr. Robot, what the heck is this? Um, I had no clue what this thing was about until those ads in the subway that sort of were reminiscent of the social network ads. You know, those ads that had, mm-hmm. that had, had the face of... Um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg playing uh, Mark, uh, not, not Mark, Wozniak, Mark, uh, the Facebook guy, who I'm blanking on, Zuckerberg. And it's a you don't get to one billion users without making a few enemies, or one billion friends without making a few enemies. So it, it sort of had that same style, and I still was like, what is this thing about? So I completely ignored it until actually you mentioned it when we were talking about humans, the show that's actually about robots. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this was, the, once it came out, Conrad, this got a lot of critical acclaim. Well, it did, and it got renewed for a second season very quickly. Uh, Before the show even premiered. 
Uh, was it before the show premiered? Yeah, um, like right before USA is like, yeah, we're going to give you a second season. Um, no, I think it was after the premiere of the pilot. Which they made available on video on demand. Like you could watch right. you could right. watch the pilot in many different ways, but I think the show hadn't, like it wasn't starting its weekly. Uh, oh, that's right. Because I definitely, yeah, because I definitely saw the pilot when it first was made available. And then I was very sad that we had to wait for it to come for back. A while. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah, but in any case, it, it did really well. Um, it has a fantastic cast. Oh my gosh. Um, so is it Rami or Rami Malik? Uh, um, I, I know him from Night at the Museum. Oh, yeah, yeah, he had a little, um, had a little Night at the Museum. Is Was it that the, one or two? I think two. I think it's two. Um, yeah. But um, he so, is amazing. He is incredible. Um, there's also Christian Slater, the return of Christian Slater. I have oh not seen gosh. him in anything and he, he is doing a fantastic job in this. Um, and then other supporting cast members, um, Carly Chicken, um, Portia Doubleday, um, and Martin Wallstrom, who I don't believe I had ever seen in anything. No, I didn't see him. Um, and then there's like a ton of other people like Gloria Rubin and Ben Rappaport. Like there's just people that you've seen quite a bit. Um, and it's a really, the cast, there's no, to me, there's like no weak links there from my perspective. Um, no, the cast is great. The cast is, um, it's a diverse cast. You have, um, more than one ethnic minority. You have more than one, uh, a, a woman, um, you, you have, there's a diversity in the types of characters you see. Uh, it, it's well acted. Uh, one of the things that I love about this, uh, I was I keep call, wanting to call it a film because it no, it, it feels, feels like that, and it's filmed yeah. in a really it's very um, it's very well done in the way that it is filmed. Uh, there's the the techniques that they're using, I think, enhance your feeling of paranoia, <laughs> or and sort of how some of the characters are feeling in this, um, and it definitely plays with your perception. Or at it, least it played with mine. Oh, well, totally. The, everything about this show um, is is really it, it creates some pretty strong sensory experiences. So the cinematography is beautiful, and um, it's very much it. It reminds you of lots of different things. And the showrunner here, um, Sam Ismail. He he talks openly about yeah I'm influenced by Fight Club I'm influenced by David Fincher no I'm- really I can't imagine that he would have said that <laughs> no seriously I mean it is and it's it's good influences to have I think I kudos to uh, to every influence that is is going into this because it made it such a strong endeavor it it really does and so you have that that same type of score that the social network had where it was a very sort of electronic score that is unnerving at times we've got that here with Mr. Robot and just how certain things are framed in the camera the cinematography at times will will do things that you so don't expect and i think that's what i love about the show is Every aspect of it, from the acting to the cinematography, the story, it is not what you expect. And what I expected when I found out this is a show about hackers, I don't know about you, Conrad, but every movie and TV show I've seen with hackers has been so stupid. <laughs> it's been well, like, and what's really great is that they make fun of those movies on this show, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is really great. Um, and actually, some of the some of the hype that I had read before. 
I saw the pilot was that hackers were saying that this is actually how a lot of it's done. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, I like that. Apparently, the show creator um, did a little hacking in college, and and they they have some consultants to try to get that aspect of it right. And this is where it reminds me a little bit of Black Mirror, where I feel like this is one one of those shows that is the first to really do technology right. I think Black Mirror gets the ideas of. Uh, uh, of what we have to worry about with technology, right? The questions we should be wrestling with. And Mr. Robot, I really feel like it gets it gets a lot of the culture right. right. Um, and it feels so modern, Conrad. Like it like given everything that's happening with Ashley Madison, the the website that was hacked, the website that helps people have affairs. Um, well, then they even dubbed some of that in. Oh, yeah. Into Mr. Robot, which was a fantastic idea. So good, which makes it feel even more relevant. Um, So Edward Snowden, um, the Sony hacks that happened last year, Anonymous and the parallels that that has to these group of hackers here called F Society. Um, And then it's not just about the hacker stuff, but it's also, and this is where there's some parallels, a lot of parallels with Fight Club. It's taking on social issues that seem pretty relevant right now. A lot of people are talking about debt and economics and student loans. And, you know, we had we're still kind of feeling the effects of the recession here and in, in the global recession and the Occupy movement that happened in the United States. Um, this show feels so modern and relevant. And now. Well, and also the piece that I'm very interested to hear your opinions on is that the main character is suffering from depression, um, anxiety disorder. Um, he is on many substances and he does go and see he is like there's different scenes with him uh, talking to his is it a, is she his psychiatrist? So I think they change it a couple of times. At first, you think this is a psychologist, and then she, we find out she's prescribing right. some stuff, too, and she's a psychiatrist. So that's a classic thing that happens in TV shows and mess it up all the time. But yeah, Oh, so I, think here, with- I think here they're doing it deliberately, though, to mess oh, with you, the oh, audiences. Good. Oh, that makes so much sense. Right, because... That makes so much sense. And so the, the really clever thing that they do with the show, and the writing is really well done, and the narrative, um, it's just... It's incredibly off-putting, and part of why it's off-putting is that you are relying on the main narrator, which is Elliot, and as as you were saying, he's totally unreliable. Um, and there's many different things that lead you to believe he's unreliable, and you mistrust just about everything. So really, there's so many points in the show where you're like, did that conversation actually happen? Is yeah. he hallucinating? <laughs> did he actually do what he thinks he's been doing? Yeah. Um. Or it, are there things that we don't know that he's doing that he's not even aware of? Like, there's all these very um, cleverly hidden facts that get revealed in really interesting ways. And, and sometimes you're you're wondering, wait, whose perspective am I even right. seeing here? And one of the ways I love that they do this is the main this main story here is about um, Elliot. Being this hacker, getting involved in this group called F Society that is trying to take down Evil Corp, the evil corporation, which I love that, Conrad. I love that. that I know. The main antagonists are like, again, 
that's probably not their name, but that's the way Elliot is seeing the world, and that's how it's getting shaped here. And Evil Corp is, so I read somewhere that uh, it was described as a, the the unholy child of Google and Halliburton. It's like some kind of like mixture of the two. But F Society is trying to erase all consumer debt and kind of create this new era and all of that. Well, very similar to Fight Club on that. So on that end, so there's there's definitely a lot of play with that. There is a lot of uh, you you can feel the similarities pretty quickly, which mm-hmm. is also I think part of how they create your perception of Elliot as an unreliable narrator. So if you've seen Fight Club and you're aware of that plot and then you're kind of hearing all of these things and you're hearing what Elliot is saying, you immediately distrust all the things that he's saying. Aside aside from the fact that there are some moments where, to me, it's pretty clear that this probably isn't happening, but there's enough of a question mark. <laughs> that, oh, that's great point. Right? Con- so that's so- a great point. Cause that's, and that's what this show does really well. It plays on those tropes. It, you, you begin to expect something. Cause you're like, I've seen this story before I've seen fight club. I know where this is headed. And then you start to watch and the show flips it and takes it into some type of unexpected area. And it does this with pretty much all, what would most of the characters, I would say, all of these, I would say at least with the five biggest characters, they all have an arc over this 10 episode season and they almost all either go in a direction you wouldn't expect or something's revealed that you didn't necessarily see coming. And that's where I started to binge watch the show because I only started watching it by the time episode seven was aired. So I had a lot to catch up on. And I started watching it and doing two, three episodes at once. And then I had to take a break, Conrad, because I was like, wait, I don't even know which way is up and down right now. Like, I I need to take a breather because I feel really like I have no clue what's happening because I started questioning everything because of that exact trope that I thought Mm -hmm. was being played out, but wasn't. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Right. Um, But yeah, I, I definitely recommend this to anybody. I really don't have too um, many criticisms here. I think I, that this would be an off-putting show for some people. It's not a light show by any means, but it does have some dark humor in it. Um, I like how clever it is, and there are a lot of really super nerdy things. Um, but I really, this has been one of my favorite shows this year. I, I absolutely agree with you. This is right now my favorite. Well, it just ended, but I was going to say it's my favorite show on TV. I, I agree with you. It feels a little bit like Breaking Bad where um, the show gets into certain – it can feel uncomfortable and, and that will is not what certain viewers are looking for. Um, so I, th- I think the pilot episode gives you a good taste of what the show is about. So definitely check that out. Try it out. If you like it, keep watching the whole season. I do think the middle of the season, Conrad – takes a little bit of a departure that uh, mm, felt a little bit less good than the rest of the season. But we're talking about, like, instead of an A for that, I would give it an A-. minus. You know, it's not like... Yeah, and I have to say, I wasn't all that thrilled with the finale. 
Oh, we'll, we'll have to talk about that because I think the finale is, is my favorite episode. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah, so we've got some stuff to talk in spoiler land. The other thing I'm going to say here is I don't know how much of this is the unreliable narrator, but you have to suspend your disbelief around the economics here. <laughs> like The whole thing is contingent right. upon this one corporation having all the information and that's not how the economic or the economy works. The global economy, uh, no one group destroying any one group's backups couldn't necessarily reset the uh, the debt record of of the entire world. So, but you know, that's not what the show is. The show's really about these characters, um, and uh, I, I love that. And yeah, we didn't even talk about the his uh the sort of what's going on with his mental health but we can dive into that in spoilers so conrad i fully fully recommend this like you this is my one of my favorite shows yep as i drink down my apple cider Ooh, apple cider. i am, <laughs> the I am stuff <laughs> i am uh drinking some uh david's tea right now it's no a boba can- no boba. It's it's late at night. Couldn't get access to boba, but I've got some black tea from David's Tea. It's a it's a candy cane special. I've got a little bit of remnants from nice. from the holiday time. So, um, hey, a new boba place has opened up in my neighborhood. So we'll have to go check it out. Oh my gosh! Well, it doesn't take much to convince me of doing that. I know it looks uh, pretty good, but we'll have to see. Oh man, and we'll save that for the. Super fantastic nerd hour on boba. Um, I can't wait to discuss that. Top five flavors. Not boba, of boba. fett, of course. Oh well, we could do that in the crossover. Boba tea versus boba fett. Nice. I think that would be a pretty good one. I feel Did like I there's tell- got to be a t-shirt in that, right? Oh, there should be. Have I told you my my dream? If I ever get to open up a boba store, what I'm gonna name it? No. Ali boba. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh All right, gosh. and with that. Uh, you want to go into Spoiler Town? Sure. All right, guys. We are, um, folks, be warned. We are going into Spoiler Town. Go check out Mr. Robot. It's already been renewed for second season. Watch the episodes. We're going to go into spoilers right now for season one of Mr. Robot. Woo-hoo. All right, Conrad. Spoiler Town. Um, there's so many things to talk about here. I've got a lot of big questions for you. Um one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is uh, the season finale. Okay. Maybe that's kind of a good place to get started. Sure. Um, so w- what's interesting about the season finale, what I didn't expect at all, is every episode of this season is working up to this hack that they're going to do to destroy all of Evil Corp's uh, backups and kind of erase all all sources of debt. And the other thing that starts to happen is um, the the individual from Evil Corp. His his role. What is his name again, Conrad? Um, Which one? Um, the the Swedish guy. Oh oh, like his name is uh, uh, Terrell. Terrell. So his role also really begins to increase over the sh- course of the season. So the, you get this impression that there's all this momentum leading to this one event, and then you get to the season finale. We don't see that event at all. Our main character, Elliot, has, I, we're seeing things from his perspective, and we just miss that whole event. We have no idea what happened. That was so interesting to me. So that whole season finale is about... Tr- him trying to understand what happened, 
feeling even more of that unreliable narrator element. I loved that episode, but it seems like you did not like that episode. What what, what was your impression? Um, I think where they're building up to that hack and to and I understand that because this is renewed for a second season that there are reasons for not revealing him doing the hack. It just felt like a little bit of a letdown that you don't even get to see that and that mm-hmm. it just happens. Um, and again, I, I know that this is probably deliberate, but in terms of having it be a, like a fantastic finale, I just felt like it was a little, it fell flat for me. Um, there were other things in the episode that I liked. Um, you know, there there was definitely different interactions that, that Elliot has and because he's lost memory, he's he's running around a lot of this episode trying to figure out what happened. And um, he's battling, literally, with himself. Um, <laughs> yeah. And his father figure, which is his, you know, it's a, it's it's not real. Uh, the Christian Slater character. Uh, that a robot, yeah. It, that we have discovered is basically his idea of his father. And it's just this his conscience and he basically locks, locks up different things within this particular, uh, would you call it a personality? Cause I don't feel like it's quite that, but it yeah, sort so, of is. This is, this is what's interesting is uh, I, I was reading an interview with the, with the creator and it seems like part of his idea here is that this is a, a separate personality that he's created, but it, it doesn't play out in that same way. So this would be what a lot of people would, uh, those of us in mental health called disassociative identity disorder, used to be called multiple personality disorder. But, um, I mean, I think one of the things that's so hard to really talk about the mental health here behind Elliot is we're seeing things from his perspective, which is an unreliable narrator. Again, and it things don't feel 100% consistent and we don't right. necessarily see a consistent pattern here to how things are playing out and how Mr. Robot appears and when he doesn't appear. Um, But I think it's fair enough to say it is some type of representation of his father. Mm -hmm. It's some other aspect of who Elliot is that gets very much compartmentalized and plays out in certain ways. I think it's fair to say that Elliot is dealing with a lot of loneliness, is struggling with a lot of intense feelings, uh, is dealing with drugs, as you said. And there's so many question marks here. He's going to these therapy sessions that are in some way court mandated. Why? What happened there? Right. We found we find out that he has a sister, Darlene. Um, well, and the way they introduce this, because did you, when when she appears on the episode, there's the dance class. Yeah. Um, and then there's this whole thing where you see uh, Elliot's some semi-love interest, Angela, going mm-hmm. to this dance class and starts interacting with Darlene. We've never seen them interact until no. this point. And then you're like, why do these two people know each other? It, it's quite a unner- it's one of those unnerving experiences where you're like, oh, do they just happen to be in the class together? And then you find is, out they actually know each other. And is there something else going on here? And it's also I think it's also a very interesting. It's an interesting part of developing these characters, because I will admit to you, I wasn't always sure that Darlene was real. 
Like uh-huh. the way she kept showing up at his apartment. Yeah. Um, just knew where he was because they're hiding from you the fact that they've had this relationship and she's extraordinarily familiar with him and it just felt a little too strange. Um, so I uh, like up until the point where they reveal that Darlene is his sister, I, I thought she was perhaps similar to the Christian Slater character who I was, who I was fairly sure was some sort of a hallucination. I, I had that impression early on too, that Christian Slater, I, I didn't think he was Mr. Robe. I, I mean, I didn't think he was a real person. Right. Um, but with Darlene, you would see her, but part of what made me doubt is that you would, you would sort of see her interact with other characters, but I was like, is she actually, or like, it was all, it's like, so there's a lot in the show that makes you think, cause you see Christian Slater a lot and it's not clear whether he's actually interacting with other characters. So I, I got to a point once where watching the show where I thought Mr. Robot, the character was real. Um, I, I, Early on, I had the suspicion that he wasn't. I was like, oh, I've seen Fight Club. I know how this yeah, plays yep. out. And and then I was like, oh, see, I'm right. He's not talking to anyone else. Right. Christian Slater's not. And, and then there's does. that episode when he does. And I'm like, oh, this show is so good. Um, but that's what, what the show does. It, it, keeps you, it keeps you guessing. Um, but that's getting back to what we were talking about earlier, Conrad. That's why I like the finale. Mm. That was never... Never something I expected this show to do, and I, Which part I, of it? I get what you're. I get where you're coming from. It's frustrating not to see that, but I think one of the things that it leaves us with is more questions for what's. Well, what does this mean that Elliot totally doesn't remember any of this? What does it mean that um, Tyrell is not here and his wife is wondering what's happened? And by the way, she is terrifying. Oh, man. She looks like some kind of creepy like snake or something. But (laughs) like um, a Slytherin kind of. Yeah. And then there's like some that whole weird thing where um, so Tyrell's wife is basically so Elliot is running around yes, trying I'm, to. I'm to, looking forward to hearing you describe. How, how would you finish that sentence? Well, Connor? well, this is the thing. Jesus so Elliot, face. Elliot is looking. He's basically like tracking down where he's been and trying to figure out where Terrell is. Like he he had like been sleeping in his car, and uh, Terrell is nowhere to be found. And so he goes to try to look for him at his apartment after like tracking him down all over the place. And runs into to Terrell's wife, who is immediately suspicious and weird. Um, and she's always been weird in this show. Yes. Um, and there's this point, and she starts speaking in a different language. And it still isn't clear whether Elliot, and Elliot's even questioning himself, is she speaking a different language? Is this just me being crazy? So even the unreliable narrative is questioning himself. It's really fascinating. Um, apparently, then- she's speaking Danish, according to some viewers. Uh-huh. And she says that if if he's done anything to him, she'll kill him. There, there's some moment um, I, I don't remember if it's in the finale or not, uh, where Elliot grabs the camera and starts questioning what's going on. And it's it's this great moment where he's kind of where he's breaking the fourth wall, but it's also unnerving mm-hmm. to have him going to question reality to us the viewers but uh, so we're kind of wondering here um what happened to tyrell and i mean think the the implications here are really interesting for me the the way that uh, 
what I like about the season finale is it I think it's setting up an interesting second season here is Elliot is doing things that he's not aware of, that us as an audience are not aware of. And not just that they happened off screen, but him as a narrator, he doesn't know what happened. And we don't know how much time has gone by. We don't know where these other characters are. Um, Tyrell must be real because there's this, he has this wife and uh, this pregnant wife and or did she have a kid? I don't know. She yeah, did. she had the baby. She had the baby. Okay. Um, I don't know if I hallucinated that or not. I was kind of questioning that myself. But we know he's real, and there's all these scenes with him and, and the folks at Evil Corp. Um, and there's that really unnerving scene where he's paying to beat up this homeless Yeah, that's man. really strange. Wow. <laughs> um, that's the kind of stuff that makes his show a little bit hard to kind of to, to he watch. reminds me very much of um, Christian Bale in American Psycho. Uh, that's well. That's another film I think that is kind of uh, uh, inspired this show. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's a but, tough. But yeah, I know. I I hear you. I think that there were some definite strong parts of this finale. Um, and I do like how they showed all the different effects. Some of which were were a lot, some of which weren't. Um, I liked how they tied the other, uh, the White Rose, who's played by B.D. Wong. Oh. Who's kind of the head of the other hacker organization. That post-credits scene. Which I really didn't see coming. I was watching the show, and um, I knew that I had, like, three minutes left. And I was like, a three-minute credit sequence? That doesn't seem right. So I forward and I'm like, oh, man, there's another scene. There's another scene that never happens in TV. Right. Um, And so I I did like this. Um, I didn't like the treatment of Angela. I don't fully buy her turning into an evil corp sort of like minion. Well, so let's talk about that, because that is that that's an interesting thing here, because what happened is the show delayed the season finale a week. And one of the reasons why it was delayed, it, it, it um, the scene shows a on-air suicide on live TV. And on, sadly, there was the, a tragedy um, in the United States where there was an on-air shooting that happened the day this episode was supposed to air. So USA delayed that. Um, and it's, it's a very graphic scene as it plays out on this episode. And Angela witnesses this and is very much impacted by it and has a very another unnerving conversation with that evil corp ceo Mm -hmm. and the way he addresses this is you need to kind of you need to change those shoes you can't be seen walking around with those shoes anymore and how that plays out with her and um, and asking for I want to see the Prados was so creepy and uncomfortable and uh, a big turn for that character. So well, you're not buying it. I'm not buying the fact that she went to work for Evil Corp. I just don't think she'd do it. Mm. I, I definitely not after all the stuff that she's been through, all the stuff um that her family and Elliot's family have been through, I I do not believe that she would ever step foot in that building. I 
I can see her doing it out of desperation if she's looking down the road, not really seeing many other options available, knows that working at that security company, they're they're gonna be they're going down the drain. Um but I, I agree with you that it seemed sudden. It didn't seem to fit what we've already seen. I didn't I don't think we saw enough of the desperation of the character to go into that direction. I mean I think it was alluded to she's moving back in with with her dad but it didn't really get fleshed out enough. So I agree with you. It seemed very sudden. I think what's what's scary to me now is now that she's made these decisions and I think she's trying to kind of rationalize the choices she's made, what implications does that have for season two now and where is that character going to go? So I, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out now. But I agree with you. It was kind of a sudden turn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's... I think that again we're going to see more of this in the second season. Um and I and I think maybe you're right, maybe that delay made it seem a little bit more I, I don't know. It just felt a little contrived to me. Well, speaking of season 2 now, you, you mentioned that scene with White Rose and the CEO from Evil Corp talking about basically like controlling the world. And um, I didn't catch this at first, but that scene is very much uh, an homage to um, Eyes Wide Shut. And it kind of plays out in very much the same style, and it's the same same place. They they filmed it in one of the same places where that, that movie was shot. Um, and in the interview, the showrunner has said, um, we're about to watch Rome burn hmm. um, for season two. And, and that... Where do you think things are, are are headed? What are we going to see happen next in season two? Well, I mean, I think whenever you see something like this where there's... Because we don't know the motivation of White Rose or or that particular organization. Um, we And anytime you see something like this, anytime there's a power vacuum, somebody's going to step in. Yeah. So yeah. I think you're going to see the repercussions of what the F of what F society has done, but I don't think they're necessarily what they think was. I don't think it's going to be what they intended to happen. Yeah, and this is where I think that what's so cool about the show is there. There's so many layers here. So yeah, there's the commentary on on loneliness and isolation and social media and technology and how we leave these digital footprints all over the place and um, what that means. There's all that stuff. There's all the stuff on on hacking culture and, and how there are some white hats out there, some people who are trying to hack for, for purposes of good. There's all that stuff. There's this stuff about consumerism and about um, economies and, and debt. But then there's this, what, what you're talking about here is, is questions of power, of... Um, can you really take down some of these people that are in such high positions of power? Or what happens if there is a power vacuum? I don't think there is a power vacuum. That last cameo scene where you, and and the CEO here of Evil Corp isn't really worried about anything. And you're kind of wondering, why is he not? Like, this doesn't really make sense here. And then you see at the end that he's working with White Hat, or at least in some type of conversation right. with White Hat, which makes you think, huh, 
so have they been working together this whole time? Has this been part of the plan? What's what's really going on here? Um, I thought that the show would kind of be over at this point. I didn't think that they'd be really able to sustain much more here. Um, and with that cameo scene, it, it makes me think that, okay, there's a much much larger story that's about to be told here in, in season two. So um, I'm, I'm quite excited about that. Uh, I mean, Conrad, do you, one question I wanted to ask you, um, I know we got to get to our crossover soon, but do you think F Society is good? I mean, do you think they're, they're doing good stuff here? I think that they think they are, but as I said, I think that there are other forces at play here that have a much bigger plan in mind, and this is part of it. So would you be marching out in Times Square with your own F Society mask on? I don't think so. I also find that <laughs> mask incredibly creepy. So creepy. Which reminds it's a little like V for Vendetta. Well, right. And so I, I think it's actually meant, you're meant to distrust it a little bit. Like it, you're, that's not a very comforting mask. No, it's not. And, you know, with the so there's V for Vendetta kind of a, creepy vibe um but i gotta say one of the friendly vibes i got j- was just their hangout it kind of reminded me of the arcade from tron yeah that was uh, kind of i liked their little <laughs> hangout it seemed like a little safe place there's popcorn yeah. it's good yeah the popcorn's great and they're just kind of hanging out coney island um i love that so yeah you know i don't know uh, if i think i think you're right they they think they're they're a force for good i think I just think that they're a small piece of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they can't see the big picture. And I think maybe when Elliot has all of his memories together, he can. Um, But I I don't know if we're going to ever see that. But I don't know if we're going to see that. I also think that from a moral point of view, we see a lot of Elliot struggling with the idea of hurting people and how he is against that. And he tries to pull the plug a few times on the whole F Society idea. And then gets pulled back in or manages to convince himself that he should be pulled back in. It's not totally clear. So well, so I do think that we're going to find out a little bit more. And on a small and a large scale, you get the impression that Elliot just doesn't know how to do the right thing. He's trying to. And I think we see that with his therapist where he is he hacks her. He's following her, um, which is all clearly breaking the law you know and breaking a few other kind of rules there but he he's got this intention of of good that he finds out that she's being cheated on and he's trying to help her but he's not quite able to do it in the best way so i think that's the same thing with f society that it, it has these goals of alleviating the crushing power that debt can have on people's lives, but it doesn't necessarily see the big picture and the right. bigger implications. And in some ways, the the small mindedness of that, that you can't actually do that. Although in the show, it seems like it's playing out as you can. Um, so, although is it? <laughs> although is <laughs> so. it? We'll, f- we'll find that out. We'll, we'll find out what, what happens there. So, um, I am very excited for this, Conrad. I'm, I'm very excited to continue watching the show. It's just very artfully crafted. And um, again, from the acting, uh, from Rami Malek down, um, he is such a talented actor here. How he subtly communicates so much emotion with his eyes and with his facial expressions. Oh, but also just- with his body. Like he, he doesn't like to be touched. 
Oh, like yeah. his interplay with a lot of these characters is phenomenal. And and despite some of the issues that Elliot has, you're always you're even you're sometimes reluctantly cheering for him, but you're always cheering for him. Even yeah. though he's doing some things that you may not agree with. So um he doesn't like bullies. He tends to stand up for those people he cares about, even if he does it in a very creepy way, <laughs> like <laughs> by violating their privacy. Um, but I, I like, he is a great character. Um, and this actor, uh, Remy is doing a great job. So I'm super excited to see what he does in the second season. Yeah. If you want to hear more from him, it's great. Cause, uh, the, the nerdist, um, interview that, uh, they had him and, um, Christian Slater on. It's and fantastic. Chris, well, it's Chris really Hardwick good. is super fanboying out that whole episode and it's so great to hear that (laughs) well it's great to hear that but what's really funny is that i don't think that they really understood fully how big it was yes i don't know or maybe they did or maybe they they're kind of isolated from it but yeah he is totally fanboying to the max there (laughs) but that's what he does well that's why it's a nerdist yeah, that's why it's nerdist. So definitely check out that interview if you want to hear more um, from from the two leads here. And and let us know, dear listeners, what you think of Mr. Robot. Um, Conrad, any final words on that before we get to the crossover? No, I think we're ready for the crossover. All right, let's, let's head into the Infinite Crossover Chamber. Welcome Pew. to the Infinite Crossover Chamber. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Domo. Um, so I, I, I didn't have anything. That was good. That was good. I didn't have anything. Uh, I approve. I missed your sound effects. It's so <laughs> it's nice to have you back. It's been a while. I'll, I'll work on some new ones. Um, so, um, Conrad, you came up with a great question today. The question. Um, so we're looking at Mr. Robot versus Fight Club. And the question you brought up, which I'm really excited to dive into, is which narrator kept you guessing more? So we've talked about Mr. Robot, and we talked about how you and I really started guessing, like, which character is real, what's going on, what's fact, what's fiction. Now, we're going to have to talk about Fight Club, and I don't think there's any way to do this without having Fight Club spoilers. No, there aren't. So I think we just have to say it. You can't listen to this if you haven't seen Fight Club or Mr. Robot. (laughs) Yeah. And if you haven't seen Fight Club at this point. You really should. What's going on? Like, let's have a conversation here because you need to watch that film. And it still holds up. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, um, let's start right there. Let's, let's start with Fight Club. Um, this movie was a big part of my sort of, uh, I don't want to say coming of age, but it was the first movie I saw. I was in high school at the time when it came out. Um, I think I was a junior or senior, I don't know, something like that. And I was working at, this was right before I started working at the movie theater. So after I started working at the movie theater, I watched it again like seven times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. um, so this movie really resonated with me and it, uh, there's okay so here here comes spoilers folks you ready spoilers so it focuses on this main character who's a narrator and then over the course of the movie we find out that the narrator is actually Tyler Durden so Edward Norton Brad Pitt are actually the same character here so the movie kind of keeps you guessing 
it is also playing on themes of consumerism, capitalism, um, mental I, I think illness. It, mental, yeah, it's it's also playing on ideas of conformity, of leadership, of power, of social groups. I think it does a little bit more where it's trying to break down ideas of gender and masculinity. Um, I, I don't think Mr. Robot really does that. Um, or some might argue maybe it does. I don't know. Um, I also think it it's it's a film that in some ways is very 1990s. Um, when I was watching it recently, it, you know, there's a line that Tyler Durden says, you know, we have no great war. Um, so it's very pre-9-11, uh, pre-war on terrorism. But other than that, I think it's a film that holds up very well. It's a film that um, I've seen many, many times. Conrad, it's, I'm assuming it's a film you're a fan of as well. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I've seen it quite as many times as you have, but... Um, it's one of those films I'll come back to and it is, and if it's on, you know, if it's on in, in the television, um, like usually, usually it's, I don't know, you'll see it pop up here and there and, and it's something that I always like to watch. So I, I count that as a good film. One um, of these days I should send you my undergrad social psychology paper I wrote on this. Like I, I, I did a... Uh, I did this big study on it, this big analysis. It was in my first social psych class. I'm very proud of it. Uh, well, uh, it's, I mean, it's a great, it's a great film. Um, and I admit, like, there were moments within it where I was just like, oh, that seems a little over the top. But I, I was, and I suspected that, and, and it's meant to as well, like, the character of Tyler Durden that Brad Pitt plays, um, gets more and more over the top and crazy as the film goes on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost daring you to to guess what's what's actually happening before they actually reveal it. And yeah. but I do think that they lay a lot of breadcrumbs there along the way. Some of them are just kind of glaring at what? you, but but I do think that there is definitely a big reveal. Um, yeah, it, it's it's it is different in that respect. I, I think the the cool thing about Fight Club and why I rewatched it so many times. Well, one is I worked at the movie theater at that point and it was free for me. But the the other reason is you pick up on those breadcrumbs more and you see all the little seeds that are planted. Yeah, but I also think when I first watched it, when they did the big reveal, and then there's this whole there's this basically whole montage where Edward Norton's character is coming to the realization that he is this he is this person he is the same person and they do this whole montage where it's all tied together in flashbacks and it's really well done and very smoothly done and it makes sense of so many things that were not necessarily making sense up until that point so i i think that it is a pretty much perfect way of revealing this <laughs> this main plot point well so when i first saw this film for a while in the movie, I wasn't really questioning if this was an unreliable narrator at all. Hmm. Uh, probably at least the first third, maybe the first half, I, I wasn't really thinking like, oh, who is this guy, Tyler Durden? I mean, I was wondering who is this guy, Tyler Durden, because he does a lot of weird, wacky stuff. Um, and it's, you know, Brad Pitt is perfectly cast in that role. I think it's it's that Tyler Durden and this uh, 12 Monkeys guy are kind of they're they're like cousins of each other. Um, but I, I wasn't really 
questioning it too much and things until right before the big reveal. Whereas with Mr. Robot, it's kind of clear from the get-go that your narrator, your main character here, doesn't have it all together. That well, was I mean, my, but my, they're showing they're showing that he's doing drugs, so there's a lot of reasons for you to doubt what reality is for him. Which that was the one storyline, Conrad, that I, I felt like was more of an A minus as opposed to an A. I thought the drug storyline in Mr. Robot was a tangent that I could have done with a little less with. I agree with you, but uh, when a friend of the show or a friend of ours generally, uh, Dan Gottesman, had said to me that he felt like they were playing it up quite a bit because you needed to know he was unreliable. And he felt like that's why there was such a focus on that. It definitely does cement it in Chris. Right. So I, 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 I see his point and I, I would agree with it to an extent, but I do think that they didn't need to do quite as much with that as they did. Um, I also think it's important to remember in this that Mr. Robot is influenced tremendously by Fight Club. So some of those playing playing with the perspective and your perception of the narrator are, um, and and hopefully the audience's knowledge of Fight Club are totally deliberate. Um, yeah. The, one of the ways, and, and you know, one of the things I do like about the 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 drug storyline is it shows a different implication of his actions, right? And and what happens? I mean, there's a, a person dies as a result of of his actions or in his inactions. Um, but getting getting back to this crossover debate here, one of the things, the way it. I was questioning and wondering what's happening in Fight Club is I was wondering how does Tyler Durden work? Where does he get this money? How does he have this knowledge and information? Well, what and how do, and how does he him? how does he appear in all these places? Yes. Right? Like like there there it just seems very convenient. Um I think that I think that both of these keep you guessing, but I think that they do it in different ways. And I do, I think that they do this for a reason. I mean, as we keep accidentally referring to Mr. Robot as a film, I think there's a reason for that um, because it does play out that way. But when you have a show this long, you're going to have to keep the audience guessing in a different and more subtle way. Yeah. So I feel like their reveals are tiny, but then somehow turn earth shattering. Like the reveal of Darlene being Elliot's sister was huge. Yeah, it's huge. And Absolutely. then and then I don't know if you felt this, but as an audience member, I felt like how did I not see this before? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like I should have picked up on this before. They clearly th- that is the vibe that you're getting. Yeah. Um, but part of why I think you're not getting it is because Elliot's blind to this. He doesn't remember this. And in Fight Club, it's a feature film. It has a finite amount of time that it's going to run. And it has a very distinct beginning, middle, and end, even though they do some flashbacky type crazy stuff there. Um, and they they do have a big reveal. So I just think that just because what because one is a film and one is a series, they have to do things a little bit differently uh, to keep the show interesting. I I feel like the many twists and turns that Mister Robot takes are are brilliant and necessary. And much preferable to just the big the big reveal at the end. 
So because yeah. if you, because if you're already thinking and you already know that this narrator is unreliable, and you know, and you're and you and I both said it, we were questioning everything within the show, and we were still surprised by certain yeah. things that happened. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'd have to make an argument to say I I think that they are both equally incredible um, pieces of of um, fiction and writing and and cinematography but i feel like mr robot ha- even though it has a little bit of a more subtle um a little bit more subtlety to some extent um it's stronger at this point but well, only so- because it's influenced by fight club <laughs> so that's like <laughs> this, you, know, you, tough. you and i have this this is a constant struggle for us we we put things in crossover that are natural crossovers but have definitely influenced one another and yeah, built on each other. And it, it's hard when you get to that point. Um, yeah, so I think as we're thinking about this, I think the way that they both work well is because Fight Club is a feature-length film, it's only two hours, you don't have the luxury of really diving in to a lot of the character moments and the backstory and developing the character arcs as much. So what that ends up doing is you end up focusing a lot more on these big ideas that come out of the show or the show. Now I'm calling Fight Club a show. Um, right. Fight Club, the film. When you walk out of that, you have – yeah, there might be questions you have about piecing together what happened. But then I think that conversation naturally gets to these big ideas about right. uh, capitalism, consumerism, masculinity – Whereas with Mr. Robot, since it is a prolonged series and 10 episodes, you end up getting much more in-depth into the characters and questions about characters. And while it has those bigger themes, the, the thing that, this, that makes this work so much is who are these people and their relationships with one another. And that's where you're guessing. So um, I, I might weigh more towards a tie here. Uh, uh, cop out. <laughs> oh, okay, you're gonna make me pick. Yes. Um, if I if I have to pick, I have to go with Mr. Robot yep. because just as as someone watching this, um, these two, I I was more confused with right. Mr. Robot and, and confused in the way we're supposed to be, not in confused sense of what's happening here. <laughs> um, and I think Fight Club, I just I didn't really see it coming. Um, right up until it did and then i was like wait what that you know the that that scene when edward norton starts to put it together i'm like oh oh, oh. Yeah. um so you know uh, mr robot made me wonder a little bit more and there there very- still makes me wonder there's still parts of it that i think i need to go back and watch <laughs> because i feel like there's I feel like there's breadcrumbs and you don't always know whether they're real breadcrumbs or fake breadcrumbs. Yeah. and, and <laughs> or, or maybe, I don't know, morphine-laced breadcrumbs. I mean, there there's really, um, I feel like this is just such an incredible, like, this is an incredible work. It's an incredible piece of work. I really have enjoyed watching it and I like the fact that it makes me think this much. Oh, absolutely! This and is- I find myself talking with it, uh, just talking about it with with Bill, with you, with um, friends of mine. Haven't been able to get a, a ton of people on the bandwagon, but but well, I want to talk is, about I, it. So I keep it's trying to get more people to watch this. I, I don't think enough people have watched this, and yeah, there's a clear connection between 
Fight Club and Mr. Robot, um, Where's My Mind starts to play. Oh, I know. I thought that was amazing. I was like, oh, <laughs> really? You did that? That's so cute. That's such a nice tie-in here. Yeah. And then, you know, there's one thing that's a little bit different is Elliot kind of goes back to Mr. Robot, even when he's made the discovery that Mr. Robot is Elliot, whereas the narrator tries to get rid of Tyler Durden. And does. And does. Um, and so I don't know what those implications are for F Society and Elliot or Project Mayhem and Tyler Durden, but um, it's interesting how that kind of plays out. And I think we'll see a little bit more of, okay, what's the consequence now of Elliot embracing Mr. Robot or at least going back to him? Um, well, and what's really funny is that he's now like, trying to make him appear. So he does things that are like directly, but things that are being done to himself. So he threatens to turn himself in and suddenly Mr. Robot appears, but actually (laughs) has to do it and pick up the phone. Um, So it's actually him dealing and manipulating himself, which is just incredible. It's just really well done. And then we finally get to see a little bit of what other people are seeing of Elliot interacting with himself in this way. Which is another nice nod to Fight Club. That how that reveal happens, seeing other people's perspective is very similar to what we see in Fight Club, where Edward Norton's kind of beating up himself right. um, in that flashback. So, all right, well, we're, we're both giving it to Mr. Robot here, but as the show does, there's a, a clear nod to its building upon the legacy of Fight Club, of David Fincher, of of all the work that was done there. Um, we should also mention um, uh, Chuck Palahniuk, or Palahniuk, yeah. Um, the the author of Fight Club, mm-hmm. uh, for which the movie is based upon. So there's a clear legacy here of uh, building upon other work. So, uh, dear listeners, let us know who you think is, uh, or who you think, what you think, which which you think, <laughs> which narrator do you think kept you guessing more? Is it Mr. Robot and Elliot, or Fight Club and the narrator? Um, and with that, Conrad, let's close up those doors. Do the infinite grassover chamber. And on to our top five. Conrad, what do we have in our top five today? We have top five unreliable narrators. Ah, well, that was a very natural choice for us. (laughs) Not too subtle, Um, are we? But, you know, but this is going to be kind of fun. I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. This is is a tough one for me because... There are uh, so many. There are so many... There's so many, there's a lot in literature. And so when I started to think about it, um, and I was thinking about an unreliable narrator where you're not really sure of of what you're being, as as an audience, as a listener, as a reader, what what you're getting, if it's the veracity of it. Um, A lot of the stuff that came up was, was a lot of literature. And so a lot of stuff that came up for me, I haven't read in a long time. Mm. So I tried to pick stuff that was more recent that I, I kind of have a more vivid memory of. So so uh, my So list- I, I actually um I I actually had quite a few films that immediately sprang to mind. Ah. Um and not as much literature, which is interesting. Well let's hear let's let's start with you then, Conrad. What's what's your number five here? Um, my number five is, um, Lenny from Memento. 
Oh. <laughs> which is the first thing that popped into my head. It's the first thing that popped into my head, which is why I made uh, Memento my number one. Oh, oh no. I am terrible. <laughs> I just totally destroyed your top five. I'm sorry. No, 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 you did it. Um, you and I have talked a little bit about Memento before and how much we love that film. And when you think of unreliable narrators, um, there's a reason why it popped in both of our heads. Like you, so that film opens up with this character who has a um, a problem with um, uh, enterograde uh, amnesia. I believe is the right term here. It cannot form new memories, and so it it is. This person's completely locked in the present, and you're trying to piece together the puzzles or the pieces of the puzzle as he's trying to piece it together and it's really confusing but amazing yes um as a story so yeah that's why it was my number one uh why was your number five conrad um i actually didn't really i didn't really have these are not sort of in you know weakest to strongest for me uh they're all pretty much strong so i just put it there you and i've talked about this several times as you said um this was a narrator that I just didn't know what to believe. And this film definitely kept me guessing in many of the same ways we've been talking about with Fight Club, but more so because they, it adjusts your reality pretty much. It feels like almost like every scene. And yeah. in the more revealed, the more re- actually confusing it gets. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm so, so, confused. so confused and so puzzled. Um, right. So, that so that's why it's in my top five. But, cool. um, but yeah, don't take anything by the number of that. Well, my number five, um, I, I put this one as a number five because uh, I, I think some might disagree with me about the how unreliable this narrator is. But um, Alex from A Clockwork Orange. Mm, okay. Um, and so the, the reason I went with this is I, I do really love that film. It, it also is disturbing in many ways and also based on a novel. Um, so, it, you know, I can go with the novel or the film. The novel has more of the narration. Here's why I put it here. Number one, I had a really hard time just kind of understanding the language. Mm. Uh, Alex does talk in this um, weird <laughs> weird slang, and there's more of it in the book than there is in the movie, um, but it's, it's very hard to understand. Uh, but you're seeing things from the perspective of this individual who really lacks empathy, and engages in things that a lot of people would find sociopathic. Um, so that kind of creates this unreliable narrator. I think some people might argue that Dexter and other characters like that are kind of in the same vein. Um, so that's that's kind of why I went with him as number five. Is uh, His perspective on the world is really, really weird and out there and disturbing in some ways. And so that's my number five. What's your number four? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make that mistake twice. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna have my number four. So, um, I'm going from Christopher from the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. So this is a book turned um, Broadway play um, about uh, about a kid kind of struggling with anxiety, struggling with um, uh, difficulty, kind of understanding where where people are coming from and understanding others 
So uh, some might say that this is someone who is uh, on the autism spectrum. And what's interesting about this individual, Christopher, as a narrator, is you're seeing the world from the perspective of someone who's experiencing the, who's struggling with these things. And so one of the examples I always give in, in my work treating anxiety disorders is I, I talk to someone um, and I, I'll, I'll say like, what would your experience be like if you had a phobia of dogs and you see a dog coming down the street and it jumps up to lick you? Like, and you compare that to the experience of someone who doesn't have dog phobia. How would you see that situation? And you, when you're experiencing some of these strong emotions like anxiety or if you're struggling with something like autism, you literally do see the world differently than someone else does. Um, you know, Conrad, you and I could be walking down the street and if I'm, you know, if I've got back pain, I'm going to be experiencing the world differently than you are. So our emotions kind of cloud all of that and influence all of that. And I think this is a good story that kind of speaks to that. So that's that. Cool. What's your number four? Um, my number four uh, was the main, the, the father character in Big Fish, uh, Edward Bloom, who was played by uh, Albert Finney. Have you ever seen this? So I really am ashamed to admit that I have not seen Big Fish. Um, Ooh, now I don't want to do spoilers. But uh, don't spoil it. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to give spoilers away. I'll just say that you should watch it, first of all. Um, but <laughs> There's a show, Diana's, one of her favorite movies. I, I, it's, it's been on my list to watch for a while. Um, but the reason why he's an unreliable narrator is that, uh, you know, his son kind of goes home. Because uh, he's he's dying, and you know, there it, it's sort of the the Billy Crudup character talking to his dad and sort of reliving some of the the tall tales his dad tells. Um, and that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to ruin it. But it's it's a great one. That's all I can say. Cool. <laughs> I remember seeing the trailer and being like, "Oh, I really want to see that." And then it just just didn't happen for one reason or another. There are many reasons why it's a good film, but you should watch it first. Well, my number three is a similar film in that I can't really say why it's it's on my number three. Um, but my number three is the book Life of Pi. Oh, well, that one is amazing. Right. Um, and you and I know why. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a film, too, which I think is a good adaptation. Um, I think it's a hard thing to adapt, but I think the film kind of gets it relatively well it's a little mm, well i won't get into that but i was going to say it's it's a little like really saturated and the visual style is eh, you know but yeah it's uh, i can't i can't i don't think i can say anything about it really god but there's a narrator and there's questions there's a lot of questions yeah yeah, so that's that's my number three. I think that's the least I've ever said about a pick. See, it's uh, pretty hard, right? It's really hard. Um, what's your number three? Um, my number three is actually it's a book and a film, um, and it, like my number three, right? Um, so um, it is the book Lolita oh. and the film Lolita. Uh, so Humbert, Humbert. Um, who's the narrator and anybody who's ever read this book or, or watched this film, um, there is a lot of, uh, 
justification that he that he has and through his perspective um justifying what he does in these books and i'm not going to say much more about it um it's not a comfortable book to read at all but it's a very well written book and it's a really interesting uh take on it have you ever read it no nor have i uh... yeah it's disturbing it's it's but um, I read it actually as part of a psychology class, <laughs> so um, and discussing some of the issues discussed within the book. So, um, you question what he is saying, and it it's interesting because you get kind of a glimpse further on in the book from from another side of things. So, I don't want to get too much into it, but there it cool. is. All right. Um... My number two I can talk very easily about because my number two is Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know, you and I talked about Calvin and Hobbes a few weeks back. Um, I totally forget the context why. But, um, you know, Hobbes is this imaginary uh, character of Calvin. And um, what's cool about the comics is they kind of go through these amazing adventures in a comic strip and then on the last uh, in the last box you realize that he was just kind of imagining this or just kind of daydreaming Mm -hmm. and i think what's cool about that is it it captures uh, an aspect of childhood that i think is uh is hard to capture it's Uh, also a magical part of childhood so it's cool it's totally cool yeah Um, so i i love that um I know you do too, and there's a lot of fans of Calvin and Hobbes out there. So that's that's my number two. Uh, what do you got there, Conrad? Uh, my number two is Inception. <sighs> wow, I totally forgot about Inception. Right now, I, okay, I'm just I, I feel like you're incepting my mind right now. Uh, Help me understand how there's an unreliable narrator here. Well, do you want me to spoil things? You don't, I, I don't think you have to spoil a lot. Are you talking about Leonardo DiCaprio's character? Are you yes. talking about Marilyn Cotillard's character? Uh, mainly talking about Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Okay. Um, because you're basically following, oh. right? It just it just incept in my mind. There you go. It's 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 there now. Got it. Um, but I don't. I again. I don't want to spoil it too much, except that you're you're it's similar. It made me think because we were talking about this. It definitely made me think of Fight Club because there's that moment there, yeah. and um, you are definitely left guessing with this film. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, totally. Like absolutely, it's totally deliberate, and it's like one of those moments where you, as an audience member, are like he did not just do that to us, and then <laughs> yes, yes, he did. There's thousands of websites dedicated to trying to answer that question. Right. I'm sure, right. um, really good pick. That is one of my favorites. I actually, I think that's Christopher Nolan's best film. Yeah, I, I love that one. I, yeah. I I really think it's a fantastic film. Oh, so good. Um now I want to go watch Inception. Mm-hmm. Um okay, well my number one was Memento. Uh what is your number one pick? Uh, my number one was Usual Suspects. Oh, of course. Because that course. to me is like classic, unreliable narrator. Um Kevin Spacey plays it so well. Um really, really well done and a great reveal at the end. 
So, um, I I can't argue with you there. Um, good pick. Uh, did you have any honorable mentions? Um, not too many. Um, it, it's hard for me because I. I, I, I mean, I, American Psycho's on there. Um, because you know, it, it's so kind of crazy. You're always questioning: Is he actually seen this? Sixth Sense is there, but I figured that out so early that I was kind of like, eh. you know, uh, the Bruce Willis character was just like a little bit like, uh, like I figured that out very early on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's quite a few out of out there. It's what, op, you know, it's a, it's a pretty popular trope. Um, it's just different people treated in different ways. Yeah, Sixth Sense was a problem for me because everyone kind of told me, you're never going to guess what's going to happen. And then you did. And, and then yeah. uh, that was on my mind. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, there's uh, some of the stuff from literature, The Catcher in the Rye um, has been mentioned a lot from a lot of people. Uh, Great Gatsby is another yeah, one that yeah, I love yeah. to mention. And these, so are all, these are all classics. I mean, they're... It's it's something that has been around for a long time that a lot of authors have played with, and I think it's something that's being pl- uh, played with by uh, in other mediums much more too. So yeah, it's a good it's a good one. Um, dear listeners, let us know what are some of your favorite unreliable narrators. You can contact us at Nerd Hour on Twitter. Check out the website uh, by going to nerdhour.com or you can send us an email at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Um, Conrad, how can people get in contact with you and check out some of your other stuff? Uh, you can find me on my other podcast, Reanimated. That's uh, reanimatedpodcast.com. Um, on the Twitters, it's reanimatedpcast. And I am Die Prince on the Twitters. Are you guys um, going to take on Fear the Walking Dead? We have been taking it on, so oh, we've been doing wow. this episode by episode, so you'll have to, to check it out. I am Ali Matu. As always, you can find me at Ali Matu on Twitter. Um, check out Brain Knows Better for more science fiction psychology, and I am also at thepsychshow.com where I talk about making psychology fun. Until next time, folks, live long and prosper. Indeed.